The Start On Demand. On demand. The NFL game in Winnipeg on Thursday was kind of a letdown. Many, not all, but many were left disappointed by a late decision to reconfigure the field to 80 yards over turf concerns and starters not playing for the Packers or Raiders. Mackling was there. He's got a lot to say about the game. The city and transit union are still at an impasse. Are you concerned there could be a strike Cell phone service is spotty at best in much of rural Manitoba, but what's the deal with landline service in Tolstoy near the border? Dozens of households have been mostly without phone service for weeks. And Bob Irving joins us to tee up tonight's bomber game in Edmonton. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who is back on Monday. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Friday, August 23rd podcast for The Start. Greg Mackling, you went to the National Football League contest yesterday. Well, uh, I would call it a scrimmage. I don't know. Contest is a good word. Yeah. Because it wasn't a game. That's fitting that we're shorthanded today. Yeah. 80-yard field last night. I think everybody more or less knows what happened last night if you're in the least bit interested. But in case you don't know what happened last night, the long and the short of it is that, of course, an NFL football field is shorter than a Canadian football league field. But the NFL uprights are at the back of the of the end zones. And so the uprights were actually further apart than they are in the CFL. In the CFL, they're 110 yards apart because they're at each goal line. Mm -hmm. In the NFL, they're at the back of the end zone. So they're 120 yards apart. Okay. So they built, they drilled new holes for new uprights for the NFL game, five yards on either side, five yards behind each goalpost at, each end of the field. So they built a patch. They put a patch on top of the hole where the CFL upright goes. And that patch was deemed as we understand it by the green Bay Packers to be unacceptable. They were concerned about injuries to their players. And so the NFL uh, capitulated to the Packers concerns. And so what they did is the, Goal line became the 10-yard line, and the goal line became the back of the end zone on both ends of the field, and they modified the field to an 80-yard field. And there were no kickoffs? No kickoffs. 15, what'd they do? They put the ball at the 15-yard line? Yes, and for those that watch any NFL football, the kickoff has sort of become an automatic take the ball at the 20 or 25-yard line. I don't even remember. I think it's the 20 uh, because kicks are going through the end zone. The, the, uh, the kickoff will go away in the NFL in the next two or three years anyway. It's one of the most dangerous plays in football. Uh, That aside, uh, Winnipeg (laughs) was really taking it uh, on social media last night, Uh, but I think more the NFL because the the field was approved for play the day before, as we understand it, by the NFL and the NFLPA signed off on the game. Uh, People trying to put this on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers simply are the key holders of the stadium. They had nothing to do with setting up 
last night's game. So the promoter, uh, this is really, it comes down to the promoter and those that, that essentially purchased the game from the NFL to put it on here in Winnipeg. You say Winnipeg was taking it on social media last night. What were you seeing? Just seeing the whole idea that this is a debacle, this field is unfit for play, the NFL should never have gone to Canada, what were they thinking, the game should never have been played in the, like, that should have been cancelled when this discovery happened, and uh, it, it was unfortunate to see, because overall, I got home in time to see the fourth quarter on TV, and I actually looked pretty good. Oh, you, you you didn't stay for the whole thing? No, I had to get home and try okay. and get some sleep. Yeah. So um, I think a lot of people were expecting a first-rate production last night. The NFL does that quite well. The Raiders had their in-stadium announcer. They had giant flags for the, for the uh, national anthems. They didn't bring their cheerleading crew. But they had uh, the big Raiders logo at center and field. It actually looked it actually looked quite good, aside for those two four foot square pieces in each end zone that that were, were the consternation, the source of the, the issues last night. Twenty one thousand nine hundred and ninety two was the announced attendance, and uh, our tickets. We actually both got tickets courtesy of Wade Miller and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and I want to thank the football club for for giving us those tickets. I ended up handing my tickets off to you, Greg, so you could take the Twin Towers, take your boys to the game because I was just exhausted yesterday and I knew there was no way that I would be able to make the game or make it through the game because I wouldn't want to go to it and then leave. Um, I don't go to a lot of events like that, so if I'm going, then I would go to see the entire thing. Uh, So I just wanted to thank the football club again. And I will be, I'm actually going to be taking in a football, a pro footballing contest. I'll be at the Banjo Bowl. Uh, with our sales team. We'll be in the suite. Nice. That'll be a fantastic experience. Uh, I was with our former uh, colleague Keith McCullough last night as well. And uh, Keith uh, summarized things very nicely. said, this is a good ad for the CFL. Yeah. For those that are, you know, that maybe were at the game last night that normally don't go to IG Field for a Canadian Football League games, the first quarter took four ever to play it was so slow almost an hour and a half from from the seven o'clock start time uh until um halftime wow yeah yeah it was about nine o'clock when we left and the start time was was seven so it it really did stretch out last night what time did the game end uh, I don't even remember okay. what time it came. <laughs> Maybe you can tell us seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. What was what were your experiences? What did you think if you went? Now you know uh, this paled in compar- comparison to what we were talking about twenty four hours ago when we thought an, a t shirt that said Winnipeg Alberta purchased on Amazon was going to be the biggest controversy surrounding this game. Boy, we had no idea what was coming. Yeah, and you talk about the game being boring. I I've only I have seen an NFL game once. We went down to Seattle, of all places. Doug Flutie was the quarterback for the San Diego Chargers at the time, and we had an opportunity to go down to see that game. And I was bored to tears. And I think it's because the the NFL television product is so good that watching the game just the game was kind of boring. I think the CFL game, for me personally, in person is more dynamic. But it was also just a boring game. Like, there was one touchdown. They scored a touchdown almost right out of the gate. So we thought maybe that we were in for a gunslinging event. 
but the score ended up being something like 13 to 9. I can't remember what the final score was, but well, after that's... that, it was just field goals, and uh, it was cloudy and rainy, so the conditions were poor, and the game was boring, but without the television product, uh, it wasn't all that great. That's uh, the NFL. You can't argue with their TV product. It's no, excellent. The in-stadium experience, I think, largely depends on the tailgating before the game. Mm-hmm. It depends on the atmosphere inside the stadium, the socializing that happens, because you, you're only getting about 20 minutes of actual play over that three hours or so that you're in the stadium. There's a lot of standing around, and because that TV product is so good, they have zero problem selling advertising, which means the timeouts are as long as they possibly can be in between plays, mm-hmm. and that just does not lend itself, in my opinion, and this would have, you know, the pseudo NFL game. This would be about my seventh or eighth experience watching the NFL. And the in-stadium experience really is dependent on all the extracurricular activities, in, in my opinion. Jeff Braun is here. Cam Poitras is here. Will Reimer is here. And the NFL game yesterday with its shortened 80-yard field and a lot of starters not playing probably left a lot of people disappointed, especially people who paid hundreds of dollars to go to this game. So we wanted to have a conversation about disappointment on a couple of fronts. One could be, have you ever gone to an event where you were let down by what you saw when you had high expectations or high hopes? Or two, did you ever plan something out and have it go astray? I'll uh, give you one example here. WWE back in the late 1990s came here. It wasn't a television taping. It wasn't Monday Night Raw or SmackDown. It was just a house show, as they call it, where it's just an arena show. It was on a Saturday afternoon at the Old Barn. And The Rock was the scheduled headliner. It was the scheduled main event. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Jeff Braun, your buddy. Yeah. And, uh, star of Skyscraper. That's right. <laughs> he is the people's champion. Everybody knows him as the star of Skyscraper. So I, The Rock was my favorite wrestler, is my favorite wrestler, and I was beyond excited to see him. And towards the, uh, the or halfway through, the announcer, I think it was Howard Finkel, came out and, and said The Rock wasn't coming to Winnipeg because he couldn't get here because there was a terrorist threat at Miami Airport. To, which was garbage. <laughs> so everyone's booing, but I think they partly did it, A, to save The Rock from coming to Winnipeg, but B, to introduce Winnipeg's own Chris Jericho. It was his first match in the WWE, so that was cool. It was cool, but I was there to see The Rock. Only in retrospect it was cool, yeah. because you didn't realize at the time that this was the launch of one of the next biggest stars in the history of, of wrestling. Well, no, he was a huge star already. Like it was, there was no disappointment in seeing Jericho. Okay, well, like, that's good. It was like it was Jericho switching when he entered the WWE. That was a big deal. Well, where was he coming from? WCW. Yeah, he, oh, he right. jumped over from WCW. Okay, but I was enough. still sad that it wasn't The Rock. So there's one example. I think hockey fans have a lot of those stories. I remember. The Habs were my favorite when I was a kid, and we went to three Canadians games, and Patrick Waugh only played once. And I think, what, Mario Lemieux? I think only ever played once yeah. in Winnipeg, if he ever played here at all. The, yeah. The, yeah, in the 1.0 Jets days, there there were rumors of the Jets flu, the Winnipeg flu, where <laughs> players didn't necessarily want to come here. They didn't want to play here. and It was kind of an interesting, if not sad, situation in some circumstances. Poitras? 
You ever been let down? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I, the one that really, the most recent one is probably The Last Jedi, the last Star Wars movie. It was probably a huge disappointment for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> really? Oh, it was terrible. Wow. Well, lots of bad yeah, movies Couch potatoes liked it. <laughs> well, the couch potatoes yeah, liked it. Yeah, but you get I, your hopes up for Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and I'm not like one of those guys that like, oh, I hate all these new Star Wars. Like, I, I really liked The Force Awakens. I liked, I loved. Um, Rogue One. Rogue One was awesome. So I was really excited about The Last Jedi, and then they just uh, destroyed uh, Luke Skywalker. Just I could get into it, but I'm not going to. Okay. So that, hey, that's fair. A lot, and you're, you share that disappointment with millions of people around the world. Uh, what about you, Will Reimer? Most recently, it wasn't really an event or anything I was going to, but I went to all the trouble of, well, I don't get to see a lot of my old friends from high school and stuff all that often. You know, I've been trying for years to get this group of friends together, but always something comes up. I'm going to be away this weekend. Oh, my girlfriend's having a function. There's always some sort of excuse. So I went out weeks in advance. I knew we all had the same weekend off. I had one of my friends make his roommates leave. It was all going to be perfect. And I said, we're not going to have this excuse about nobody's got enough gas in their tank because I'm going to come pick you guys up. <laughs> Even though these guys are spread across the, the, the southern Manitoba here, I was yeah. going to go out of my way to go get these guys. Throughout the week, text messages start dropping off. <laughs> People are uh, humming and hawing. And then at the last minute, it all just fell apart like it always does. I was, I was pretty bummed about that. Sorry, Will Reimer. Yeah, this is just better a, friends. They're not really your friends. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of the conclusion I came to. But really, what, what? I couldn't do anything else. Yeah. I'm offering to come to your home right to your doorstep and get you into my car. All you need to do is put a smile on your face. And that was apparently too much. So I need, I need some new friends. <laughs> I think we agree. Will needs new friends. Yeah, is that the bottom so. line I'm taking here? App, yeah, yeah. applications. Now, <laughs> applications. My right. deal is online. Yeah, online sure. applications. Just send me a message. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. Every time I try to go to a sporting event in Minneapolis, it falls through. I would try to go to the Giants Vikings game a few years ago. That's when the roof of the Metrodome collapsed from the <laughs> weight of the snow in a snowstorm, so the game was canceled. They had to move that game to Detroit. Yeah, and I have another. I have a buddy Tim who loves the Giants as well. He loves them so much he actually he went, went to Detroit. For My buddy the and game. I decided like, well, we can't. We each need like four more days off work to make that trip, right? So that didn't work out. But when I was a kid, it was even more devastating. We were camping outside of Minnesota somewhere. My dad's like, let's go to the Minnesota Twins game. They're playing. Oakland. I was like, yeah, all right. And it was the days of Kirby Puckett and uh, Eckersley and all these guys, right? So it was a big game. Indoors at the Metrodome? I guess so, yeah. Okay. So we're family loads up in the van. We're going to the ballpark. Uh, my dad goes, oh, we got to stop at the store and get some refreshments for back at the campground after. We'll stop there first. So I go into the store with him and he's noodling around and they got a big uh, Minnesota Twins calendar on the wall and I'm looking at it. <laughs> oh, no. And I go, Dad, Come here. No. Like, what? I was like, the game's in Oakland. <laughs> no. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh. So we just turned around and went back to the campground. <laughs> well, my my biggest one was going to see Brian Adams at Birds Hill Park way back in 91 or 92, and it rained and it was cold, and I couldn't stick around. I, I bailed after Steve Miller hit the stage, and that, that, that was enough. But you remind me of the time that I was at GM Place. at the uh, They called it GM Place in Vancouver. It's now Rogers Arena or something. Yeah, yeah. And my brother 
and I had a, a, a weekend planned, and Andre Agassi was in town to play an exhibition match. Dustin Hoffman, Wayne Gretzky, and I think it was Courier, I can't remember what his name was, the tennis player back in the day, was playing against Agassi. So these two guys ahead of us are in line, and they give the tickets, and the lady, they're going back and forth or whatever, and they put their head down, and I go, what's wrong, guys? Uh, the hockey game's tomorrow night. <laughs> Jim Career. Jim Career. Thank you, Brett McGarry. <laughs> the city has rejected the latest counter offer from the union representing Winnipeg Transit employees as the possibility of an interruption to bus service continues to loom over riders. Councillor Brian Mays said the city was, quote, juvenile when it included a line in a press release claiming the Winnipeg Transit Union would go on strike when it was, quote, most inconvenient, pardon me, for riders. The the last line in the city's uh, media release I really took exception to where they were stating that they expected the union to go out on strike uh, this fall when it's most inconvenient to passengers. And I mean, I've been doing labor relations a long time, and the point is not to go with the other side. It just seemed very juvenile to me. So I, I have real concerns with with that line. Uh, the party should be sitting down and trying to work this out. That's what's best for the public, not uh, getting in some Twitter-type uh, uh, exchange of words here. In a release yesterday, the city said negotiations with the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 1505, or ATU, remain at an impasse with the two sides roughly $68 million apart by the city's math. Michael Jack is the chief corporate officer for the city of Winnipeg. You know, we remain open to any discussions uh, that the ATU is prepared to participate in. It would be fair to say there are no bargaining sessions planned uh, simply because we we need them to come back with something more realistic before there's any point in having such a discussion. Given where the parties are at, I can't say uh, there's a lot of optimism today. I mean, we are approximately $68 million apart uh, when you cost out the two positions, and and that is a massive gulf, uh, and I'm not sure how we're going to overcome it unless ATU gets more realistic. Transit workers have been without a contract since the previous agreement expired on January 12th. The union made the counterproposal Friday, last Friday, after transit workers overwhelmingly voted against the contract over by just over 92%. Aleem Chowdhury is the president of the Amalgamated Transit Union. When we were asking 11% in, in overall, uh, the cost was at $50 million. Now we're down to 7.75% over the four years, and the cost has gone to $80 million. Like, I, I just don't know the rush. Don't know where they're coming from or where the numbers are coming from. Uh, you know, when you look at the overall picture, the cost should go down. So I think somebody's not being truthful. Somebody's not being upfront. People are making up these numbers. Uh, are they picking them out of the air? I don't know what's going on here. And we have asked them to break it down, break it down for us and show us where that cost is all of a sudden going up as we're coming down our demands and their costs are going higher. I don't, it boggles my mind. You would have to think that the window for a lockout by the city is closed. Michael Jack broached the idea of a strike and the timing of such. We would like to think that the ATU has no intentions of striking. Anytime we've made that comment, you know, we're, we're talking about the obvious strategic uh, element uh, involved in, uh, in, in any union uh, involved in a transit system. Uh, they, they've got the most leverage uh, in September when students are going back, when people are returning from summer vacations. Um, there, we would be foolish to not be 
well aware of uh, of the potential uh, for for strike action in September. We're hopeful it's not going to occur, but we know full well that there is a strategic advantage to doing that. Richard Cloutier asked Aleem Chowdhury of the ATU about their intentions. Are you getting set to strike? We are not getting to set to strike. We do not want to strike. I said that from day one. We are not interested in striking. We don't want to be locked out. We want to sit down. And I don't understand why is it that all the time that they cannot come back with, like we give them an offer and now they're saying, well, come back with another offer. We don't like this one. Well, come back to us with a counter offer as to what you think is reasonable. Uh, in my experience in negotiations over in the past years, yeah, if you go back and forth here, they're saying, well, no, we don't like this offer. Come back with another one. It just doesn't make any sense. Tell us what do you think you can afford. And if that's all there is to it, well, then let's sit down and hash it out somehow. I mean, you know, we can work it out. I mean, and, and you know, this fear-mongering to the public and to our membership, is that how the city wants to deal with this whole situation? I think that's totally, totally wrong. Well, the back and forth has become extremely public. The city, Michael Jack, outlining where things are at in a nutshell from the city's point of view. In terms of general wage increase uh, on its own, the parties are about $5 million apart. Uh, they haven't abandoned uh, the the demand for a $10 an hour uh uh, increase for mechanics. They still want that submitted to arbitration, which, uh, you know, if 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 they got what they wanted at arbitration, would uh, cost approximately an extra ten million. Uh, and all the scheduling changes that uh, they continue to cling to, uh, w- which would cost about an extra ten million every single year over the life of the agreement. Last word for now to Mr. Chowdhury. When we were asking eleven percent in overall, uh, the cost was at fifty million dollars. Now we're down to seven point seven five percent over the four years. And the cost has gone to eighty million dollars. Like I, I just don't know the rush. Don't know where they're coming from, or where the numbers are coming from. Uh, you know, when you look at the overall picture, the cost should go down. So I think somebody's not being truthful. Somebody's not being upfront. People are making up these numbers. Uh, are they picking them out of the air? I don't know what's going on here. And we have asked them to break it down, break it down for us, and show us where that cost is all of a sudden going up as we're coming down our demands, and their costs are going higher. I don't. It boggles my mind. Let's take these guys out for coffee, see if we can't get this fixed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's all, that's all I can uh, suggest at this point. It's a, such a simple Sometimes the simplest suggestions are the best ones. Let's just sit down and have a cup of coffee, guys, and hash this out. Here's the headline at globalnews.cacjob.com that made me howl with laughter yesterday. <laughs> and you can see the picture. We've linked the story to our 680CJOB Instagram story. Man jailed after trying to fix flat tires with Band-Aids in California. <laughs> California man has learned a valuable lesson about trying to slap a Band-Aid on a major problem. Authorities say they arrested the man who appeared to be under the influence of drugs after they spotted him trying to fix the flat tires on his van with Band-Aids and gauze. That's right. The Orange County Sheriff's Department says it was alerted to the shoddy patch-up in progress early Tuesday (laughs) when a witness reported a suspicious man next to a white van. When deputies arrived, they noticed both the driver's side tires were flat and the 26-year-old man was trying to use gauze and Band-Aids to repair his tires. And photos included in the post show roughly golf ball-sized hole in one of the back tires. The hole appears to have been stuffed with gauze. So the uh, police post on Facebook sparked a tide of tongue-in-cheek jokes about the suspect's terrible patching job. Well, that's his real problem. He wasn't using real Band-Aids. User Rachel Nelson wrote, Everyone knows the generic brands don't stick. 
So he Un- got arrested. Unsubstantiated, unsubstantiated reports uh, suggest the gentleman was in Winnipeg over the last couple of days <laughs> working at IG Field. Oh, boy. Wow. <laughs> NFL last night. I did not go to the game. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers provided us with tickets. Wade Miller, thank you very much for those. I was just, I've had an exhausting couple of weeks. Greg said, hey, I know a 13-year-old boy who would like to go. So the Twin Towers got to go to the game with their dad. And uh, how? And thank in you, general, how was the experience? Okay, here, here's, here's the thing. IGF is a beautiful facility. I know there are some people don't know like where it is. Some people, you know, will comment about the problems they had with the construction. It's a beautiful place to watch a football game. It was a beautiful place to watch an outdoor hockey game. No reason to believe it wouldn't be an amazing place to watch an NFL game. And it, and it was. Uh, if it had been actually a game instead of a glorified scrimmage. Uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers rented out their facility to a promoter who said, hey, I'm going to put on a football game here. The Blue Bombers took a step back and said, yeah, have at her. You have her permission. And and a couple things went sideways. We're not going to talk about what went wrong ahead of the game that prevented the game from being sold out. I think we all know uh, the reasons behind that and all have our philosophies. But yesterday afternoon, I was on Twitter, as I often am, and I saw a couple of tweets. One was from someone that I knew who they were. One was from someone I'd never heard of talking about field conditions at IGF. And so right away, people were were saying, hey, hold on here. This is the same field turf that's used in at least two NFL stadiums. It's used all over North America. What could possibly be the problem? Well, it wasn't necessarily a problem with the entire field. It was a total of eight square feet, two two-by-two sections in what were the NFL end zones last night where the CFL goalposts usually live. They were covered up, not to the satisfaction of the Green Bay Packers, as it turns out. As I understand it, the NFL signed off on the field on Wednesday, and then a couple hours before the game, it was a Packers doctor or someone in that organization that said, "We, we can't deal with that. There were even rumors that maybe they were going to cancel the game altogether. Oh my God. Last night. Anyway, they came to the compromise of uh, shrinking the field to 80 yards and moving the end zones, uh, the the goal line to the respective uh, 10 yard line. So there were no kickoffs. And so it just kind of felt like a little bit of a scrimmage. And so overall, Brett, I would say it looked great but it didn't have really any feel to it. Later in the game, as there were some points scored, uh, there was certainly some atmosphere, but uh, the NFL said this, tonight's game is being played on a reconfigured field. The field met the mandatory practices for the maintenance of the services for NFL games based on an inspection yesterday being Wednesday. Concerns arose today surrounding the area where the Blue Bombers goalposts were previously located. So, I don't know. <laughs> this whole thing has just been a mess. It's unfortunate. We won't have to worry about the NFL coming back. Yeah. And uh, the Winnipeg, Alberta t-shirts might be the best thing that came out of this exercise. And it turned out to be mostly futility. I know a lot of people had a good time. I had a great time. It's a beautiful night. I'm with my kids. I'm with my friends. It was a terrific way uh, to spend a little bit of time. I feel sorry for people who shelled out big bucks to come to the game. By all accounts, 
There were lots of people here from Green Bay in particular. We've been hearing on the news from a family that came from Alberta for the game. Hopefully they had a great time in Winnipeg regardless of what happened at the stadium last night. But uh, I can't imagine what today's players would have, uh, how they would have reacted to some of the old multi-use stadiums where there were seams for the baseball wall, for first, second, and third base, the pitcher's mound. There were seams all over those fields. Winnipeg Stadium, the Goldeye shared that stadium for three or four years. There were seams all over that field that was like concrete back in the day. So times have really changed. The Oakland Raiders are, in fact, the last team, and this is why they're moving to Las Vegas. They're the only team that does not have their own stadium. Football only. And so a lot of people were, and rightfully so, it wasn't the Raiders that objected to the field in after all, but people pointing out to the fact that had that game been played in Oakland yesterday, tomorrow, or next week, and for two regular season games at least, they'll have the sand infield of the Oakland A's baseball park taking up a, a a substantial portion of their football field. So people found it a little bit hypocritical that they were <laughs> they were looking at uh, four square feet times two of turf that was causing a problem versus all the sand that the NFL teams have to play in when they go to Oakland a couple times a year in the regular season and typically a couple times a year in the preseason. We got an email to Global News. I am very concerned about the issue of phone service in Tolstoy, Manitoba, which is a little south, it's south of Winnipeg, southeast-ish of Winnipeg. Right on the U.S. border. It's it's just east of Pem, uh, uh, Emerson, Manitoba. There are 53 households that are with Bell MTS that have been without phone service for extended periods of time for over a month. The majority are seniors, and cell phones are of no use because it is a dead zone. My parents are one of the households, and I am concerned about medical care, not being able to get to them or their neighbors. They cannot even run to the neighbors to call 911 because no one has service. Bell MTS has offered no date as to when this will be fixed. They're also not offering any compensation for disruption of service either. So for more on this, we're joined now by the Reeve of Emerson, Dave Carlson joining us live on 680 CJOB. Dave, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you guys today? Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, we're just concerned about what's going on in your neck of the woods. And uh, Tolstoy used to be a pretty popular uh, cross border crossing, right, on Highway 59. So it's it's not really in the middle of nowhere. It actually has a strategic location in our prod- province, safe to say, Dave. Yeah, it's it's definitely a viable community uh, in an area that's uh, populated. So uh, it's about 10 kilometers north of the border, right on Highway 59. So uh, the fact that the cell service there is unreliable as it is, but not to have landline service is just totally unacceptable. So how long has it been going on? Uh, you know, it's funny. I only found out about it yesterday. No one's... I mean, it's a tough community. No one's actually said anything to... Uh, they can't. They can't talk to one another. Exactly. <laughs> I can't phone anybody to ask them what's going on. Uh, but I did visit there yesterday and uh, when I heard about it. And, uh, yeah, it's been uh, at least three weeks for many people and a little bit more. So I'm not sure exactly how widespread it is. Of course, uh, it's hard to get a hold of anybody. So we're still investigating this. And we have calls into uh, our offices calling into Bell MTS today to, to get some more detail on this. But 
for us, like, this is a big safety issue. Like, this is huge. Like, we have uh, emergency response here that uh, that does go to Tolstoy on occasion. And if someone can't call them that's in distress, like, this is really serious to us. So any idea why this is happening? I'd heard rumblings that it was an infrastructure problem, that there was some, uh, uh, you know, lines and stuff that had deteriorated uh, at a junction station. But I, we don't know exactly. And, and for... For this to be going on this long, like a landline is kind of your basic, uh, you know, it's it's something you rely on, you know, like it's especially in an area like 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 Tolstoy, where it's uh, it's not a good cell service area. It's very unreliable. In some cases, it's not there. So uh, your landline is your lifeline. So I I'm just really I'm really surprised this has happened. And uh, for that long of a period of time, I just find totally unacceptable. Like this is a real necessity for people. Now, Dave, I've had the experience of driving down Highway 75, and uh, before I was with Rogers, my previous carrier, I would have sometimes no service, say, from St. Jean-Baptiste all the way till I got across the border into Pembina, and I know there are lots of people in that southeast corner of Manitoba who've been complaining about their cell service uh, for a very long time, so the landline is almost still a necessity for most people, and the fact that you know this most basic form of technology isn't working never mind the safety factor it's got to be hugely inconvenient and very frustrating oh absolutely i mean uh, we've had uh, traditionally spotty cell service i mean it's getting a little bit better uh but yeah you will drive in areas where there's absolutely no service and if you are in a in a bad situation like if this is winter time and you go off the road like you can be in, in trouble i know there's been initiatives uh, to uh, provide better service in the area. Uh, I know with Tolstoy, they're supposed to be getting uh, better service hookups at, at some point. Uh, there's towers that have been put up. They're just still uh, running lines to them. But uh, in the meantime, you need your landline. And and in many cases, I mean, I know I know myself here, like I've got decent cell service in Dominion City, but I keep my landline just in case, and, and that's your backup, you know? And... Uh, but in your an area without cell service, so it's unreliable, and and you need boosters, etc. A landline is is definitely a necessity. So, for us, this is uh, really kind of. An- Did we just lose Dave? Is this an example of the spotty cell service? We didn't plan this. Nobody touched anything. I think we lost Dave Carlson, who's the Reeve for Emerson. Well, thank you very much for joining us this morning, Dave. We appreciate the time. And indeed, hopefully we'll we'll be able to catch up with Dave again later today to find out what happens with those talks with Bell MTS. Because if they're uh, not offering a timeline here, like what are they expecting these customers to do if they need to get, if they need to tell someone something, just send a raven with a message attached to the foot? I think that's uh, probably the next best option based on what we're hearing right now, but clearly not one that we should be pondering uh, in 2019. What I don't understand is how there hasn't been any response from Bell MTS, at least that we know of, that we're aware of, and that this has been going on for three to four weeks Three to four hours in the city, people are outraged if their cable is out, if their internet is down. Three or four weeks is preposterous. Yeah, people lose their minds if Instagram goes down for 30 minutes. Never mind your your phone. (laughs) 
We'll take a look at the election as Steve Lambert joins us now, Canadian Press. And uh, I'm now convinced that if you have WPG in your Twitter handle, you're worth a follow at Steve Lambert WPG on Twitter. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Always great to spend some time with you. We wanted to catch up with you with regard to something that you started tweeting out uh, yesterday afternoon, and that... And that has to do with Wab Canoe's uh, announcement from two days ago that he was planning and promising to spend $6.6 billion on infrastructure projects. That's not just roads, highways, streets, etc., but also schools, hospital infrastructure. And the promise that was attached to that pronouncement and that pledge was 50,000 jobs. Well, you astutely pointed out that if there were 50,000 new jobs in Manitoba. We'd be in a situation where we would have, well, we'd have a shortage of workers in Manitoba because the latest numbers show, what, about 40,000 people are out of work in the province? Yeah, it bounces around from month to month, but it's usually between thirty-five and 39,000 uh, people who are looking for work but unable to find it. That means, you know, stats can, counts people as officially in the labour force of working age, um, you know, not on, on permanent disability, that sort of thing, who are looking for work and, and unemployed. That's how they measure uh, unemployment. And so, yeah, that, that amount is usually between thirty five and 39,000 month to month. So how does this 50,000 job pledge pan out in your estimation? Well, I mean, politicians of all stripes are, 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 tend to make these promises with, with very round numbers and very large numbers. And and so it's up to us to sort of break it down. And, and what these 50,000 jobs are, and this is something the previous NDP government did about five years ago, too. Um, you promise 50,000 jobs over four years, and, and what it actually is, is person years of employment. For example, if you've had your job at uh, CGOB, how long? Um, uh, going on 10 years. 15 10 for years. me. So that's 10 person years of employment. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. But it's one job, right? Correct. So when these 50,000 jobs over four years is actually 50,000 person years of employment. And because it's construction and capital, you know, jobs come and go, they're temporary, then you go somewhere else and work on a different project. So it, it is hard to measure full-time equivalents, uh, job positions. But this 50,000 is more like 10,000. And then the, the, even the 10,000... That's not on top of existing construction jobs because the government is already investing in capital and infrastructure work. So it's it's cumulative, including mostly including most of these numbers are are jobs that already exist because the government the governments of all stripes spend money on infrastructure. Basically, the NDP is promising to spend more on infrastructure, and then this this jobs number, this very large round jobs number. Um, is basically including jobs that already exist and multiplied by four because it's over four years. So you, you get these these large numbers. And I think what uh, we in the media have to focus on is is more the specific promises as to how you will create jobs, which vary slightly between parties, rather than you know I promise fifty thousand jobs. Well, somebody else can come along and say sixty thousand, and you know, well, there's the winner. Now, Steve, <clears throat> excuse me, I used used to be good at math back in school, but once I graduated from high school, that was pretty much where my math skills 
stopped being used. So now I'm pretty bad with numbers, and I'm looking at your Twitter feed here, and you and you outline it beautifully. But uh, I I admit I, I my eyes kind of glaze over when I see a lot of numbers here. And so I'm wondering, you, at the end of your thread, you say that there would be a labor shortage if someone did create fifty thousand new jobs in Manitoba, and then a sudden spike in wages. So how would the how would job creation create a labor shortage? Well, basically, if if you um, if you have that many jobs open, and that exceeds the number of workers available and and willing to work, able to work in the workforce, um, then you have a bit of a worker shortage. And we've seen that you know occasionally in cities like Calgary, where all of a sudden to pay somebody to work at a fast food restaurant, they're hurting for workers. The wages go up. There, I remember um, there was one fast food chain that was offering about twenty two bucks an hour. Uh, you know, in the last oil boom in Calgary several years ago, uh, to, for fast food workers to um, to work, they had to up their wages that much because there weren't enough workers for the available jobs. So if if there were indeed all of a sudden 50,000 new jobs on the market in Manitoba, that could exceed the amount of available workers. Well, and it has a uh, whole sorts of, and, and Brett, I'm going to use it, cascading ramifications. I, I, I've lived in Alberta a couple of different times, and the first time was not in a boom period, but the second time certainly was. And when you see the shortage of housing, and then you see this, uh, you'll see a rapid uh, increase in the, the the cost of housing. Not only uh, rents go up, but of course cost to buy a home, to, to buy a condo. And I remember in 2000, Steve, the customer service in Calgary at most places was deplorable because if you didn't like your job, you, they couldn't fire you <laughs> because they needed you to man the till. And it was just that desperate uh, for workers. So I don't know if we really even want to get to that point in my personal opinion. Yeah, and I don't think there's any danger of, of any political party in Manitoba bringing us to that point because our economy is sort of smooth and steady. Uh, we got some bad economic news uh, yesterday. Uh, the Conference Board of Canada is downgrading the uh, the economic growth forecast for, for this year. Um, but, you know, our economy, you know, a boom is about 3% growth and a, and a bust is under 1% growth. We, we don't get the wild swings that Alberta does because it's a, a resource-based economy. So we, we're sort of slow and steady, and uh, the economy doesn't change too, too much. Uh, but we are looking at uh, uh, certainly a, a slowdown uh, due to a number of factors. How are the leaders doing with regard to their promises and attaching facts? Uh, I said just the other day, I have no problem with you making a pledge, a promise, whatever you want to call it, uh, painting your vision, giving me numbers, but the number that we're, we're not hearing how, the how you're going to pay for it. We're, we're telling, you're saying how much, what for, but there's no how. Yeah, I mean, we've we've seen a little bit of that. For example, the NDP has talked about um, a new income tax bracket, an additional charge for people earning over a quarter million dollars a year. Now, that's not a lot of Manitobans, but and it, it won't raise a lot of money. But they're saying that would be one way to help pay for some of their some of their promises. Um, what we've run into with all three parties. Uh, is as you know, there's a wage freeze in the public sector right now, and the public sector unions have taken that to court. And I'm not, I don't think any party has um, calculated what the cost will be if the public sector unions win that court battle. Uh, you know, that could be a couple of hundred million dollars a year extra to the budget 
if the wage freeze is lifted, either through the courts or uh, through the you know either the NDP or Liberals winning, they've they've opposed the wage freeze. They've uh, said they would return to open collective bargaining. So there's another you know 150, 200 million, perhaps more per year that that would have to be accounted for. And so far, we haven't seen how they would pay for that. Steve, before we let you go here, this fact-checking that you did, how were you able to figure out this stuff on the 50,000 jobs from infrastructure spending promise? Well, we went, we went through this exact same debate. It's funny, five years ago, we went through the exact same debate. Um, the, the government of the day uh, promised, uh, I think it was uh, 39 or 40,000 jobs over five years through infrastructure spending. And they, they talked about all these extra jobs, all these extra jobs. But when you looked into the, the background documents, they were person years of employment. And I think that was over five years. So then we did the math and calculated backwards. And, and the 50,000 was actually more like the 3,000 additional jobs if everything came true, if all the additional spending was, was spent. And again, this is reliant on government spending. Um, it was more like 3,000 extra jobs. Uh, over five years. Well, I think it was James Carville that said it's the economy, stupid, and and uh, Donald Trump played that to a T in his election campaign and really honing in on the idea that it's about keeping your money safe, keeping your job safe, and Justin Trudeau has played that trumpet with regard to SNC-Lavalin, so I guess it is all about the economy and your personal situation when it comes right down to it in these political campaigns, Mr. Lambert. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, we're seeing some uh, not very good economic news on on the uh, coming on the horizon here. Part of it is due to, you know, things way outside provincial control, like uh, the trade war with China. that uh, Trump is involved, but um, uh, some of it is also due to, you know, we've stopped spending on the massive Bipole 3 transmission line that that's built now. So because whenever a, a, a couple of mega projects like that wind down, the government overall spending on capital is less. So that, that, cre- that drops in terms of uh, construction jobs and that sort of thing. And uh, Kiosk, the Kiosk Dam up north, um, that's close to completion. So that, um, that also, that mega project's winding down. So again, you're getting this sort of wind down of, of spending on mega projects and that means economic growth the following year is is less. Steve Lambert, follow him on Twitter, at Steve Lambert, WPG. We always appreciate it when you make time for us, Steve, and thanks for uh, holding the politicians' feet to the fire. Thank you, Greg. 847 on 680 CJOB. We also want to remind you here that Decision 2019, there will be a leaders' debate airing live on Global Winnipeg on August 28th. Global Winnipeg is hosting a leaders' debate for the upcoming provincial election with a couple of other media outlets as part of a broadcaster's consortium. The Manitoba Leaders' Debate 2019, which airs August 28th from 6.10 to 7 p.m., will include Brian Pallister, Wab Canoe, Dougal Lamont, and James Bedham. Journalists from all three networks, including 680 CJOB's Richard Cloutier, will be putting questions to the party leaders. The debate will run commercial-free on Global Winnipeg.
But right now, we want to talk some football, not NFL. Well, I don't know. Should we talk NFL? Oh, yes. We cannot not talk about (laughs) NFL game last night as we have Bob Irving, the voice of the Bombers, uh, on the line with us. And Bob, I guess if not for you being in Edmonton, you would have been here and at the game last night. But at the very same time, if if the Bombers weren't on the road, uh, then this NFL game would not have come to fruition in any event. So uh, were you just as happy to to be away as it turned out? Well, I understand and have heard that a lot of things went wrong. So, uh, yeah, I guess so. I I have sort of mixed feelings about the, that whole exercise, but it's over now, and uh, I'm not sure what was achieved or accomplished. I do know this. Uh, the Bombers made a nice profit off the game, and that's sort of the bottom line for them. Uh, I kind of feel for the fans who maybe got robbed a little bit of the experience, but, uh, hey, uh, <laughs> let's let's turn our focus to tonight when we get back to our good old brand of Canadian football. How about that? Well, as our old friend Keith McCullough said to me last night, said this was an excellent commercial for the Canadian Football League. <laughs> yeah, well said. Well, so, said. well that's why well, I had to attribute it. Uh, couldn't claim it as my own. So the Bombers obviously a little bit of a challenge tonight as they face the uh, Eskimos at uh, the Brickfield, uh, yeah, whatever, at Commonwealth Stadium, a uh, place where traditionally for a long time they hadn't played well, but in the last few years they've had some success in northern Alberta. Yeah, they've had some very big wins here. I, I think the one, Greg, that sticks out for me the most was in 2016 when they were 1-4 and four and they came in here and there were all sorts of, you know, questions about the where the franchise was headed. Was the season going to be a disaster? And they scored a huge win over the Eskimos that turned their season around and they went on to win 12 games that year. So they do have some good memories uh, from Commonwealth Stadium, a stadium where Teams have rarely won over the last number of decades. The Eskimos right now are riding a six-game home win streak, so uh, it's never easy to win here, but the Bombers have had a a pretty good taste in their mouth from visits in the past, and we'll see if Chris Strebler in his fifth career start can add to that uh, recent legacy. Now that game, of course, you referenced was Matt Nichols' first, very first start as a Blue Bomber starting quarterback, right. if I'm not mistaken, and has, uh, except for uh, the injury at the beginning of last year, for the most part, not looked back. H- how much different, for those that are casual fans, Bob, how much different should we expect the Blue Bomber offense to look tonight with Chris Strevler at the helm? Well, I think if Paul Apolise and the Bomber coaches had their way, Greg, it wouldn't look greatly different, although there will be more running, I think, by the quarterback. We'll see some option plays with Strevor. I know that's what the Eskimos are preparing for. Their defensive coordinator, Philip Lawley, says they expect, uh, you know, all kinds of different looks from the Bombers, which feature Strevler faking handoffs and then taking off on his own. But I know the Bombers have said, and I know they believe this, that he has to stand back there in the pocket and complete some passes in a sort of a traditional pocket passing sense. So I think we'll see a combination of the two. The one thing we knew we would rarely have ever see with Matt Nichols was him rolling out and taking off. Well, we're going to see some of that, I can guarantee you. Uh, tonight, and we're going to see some broken plays where Chris Strebler tucks the ball and takes off, and that's a threat that I know has the Edmonton Eskimos a little bit worried. Has he proven himself at all as being able to just step back and throw the ball? Uh, no, well, to to a degree, I guess, Brett, but certainly not to the point where you know people see him as a 
traditional passer. Uh, but that's okay, too. You know, this, one of his great strengths is his ability to run and, and the power that he has in his running game. And he shouldn't, uh, you know, put that on the shelf and not use it. That's, that's a threat. It's one that keeps defenses off balance, and, and he has to do that. But he also has to do the other thing. Well, I look back to the first three games he played last year, and, he, you know, he did some very good things in the passing game, but it's an area that certainly needed improvement. Uh, whether or not he's had massive improvement in that area, we just don't know because he hasn't played enough this year. But we are going to find out tonight and beyond. Now, Johnny Augustine is in the uh, on the on the roster, but not starting in place of Andrew Harris at running back. That could have been the case, and there was some concern about Harris's health. Uh, where, where do you think Harris is in, in, on a healthy scale, Bob? Well, he says he's fine. He hurt his arm in practice on Monday, uh, but we talked to him yesterday here in Edmonton, and, you know, he just shrugged his shoulders and said there was a bit of a scare, but everything turned out okay, and uh, and he's raring to go and continue on his fantastic season. Now, the, the first game of the year when the Bombers played Edmonton, Winnipeg won 28-21, but the Eskimos held Harris to 34 yards rushing. So they did a real good job of controlling him, and that will be one of the emphasis of their defense again tonight. Uh, so we'll see if Andrew Harris can kind of break through and, and add some significant yards against that defense that may be the best in the Canadian football league. I know the Bombers would argue with that. They would say theirs is the best. But statistically, Edmonton's defense is in first or second place in just about every statistical category. So the Bomber offense will be up against a great test tonight. Well, and then you talk, they've got very close defenses, but their offense is close too. Winnipeg second in the league behind only a Hamilton for points scored offensively, Edmonton third. Mm-hmm. So are we, is there potential for a shootout tonight or do you think the defenses are just going to lock horns? Uh, you know, I'm not sure, Brett, you never know how these things are going to turn out. I don't think we'll see a shootout. I think the defenses are too good for that, but this is a real heavyweight battle. You know, you got a team that's seven and two against a team that's six and three. Uh, these are two of the very best teams in the Canadian Football League going at it. This is the third game this year where the Bombers have played a game. The first one was against Hamilton, the second one against Calgary, and now against Edmonton, where, you know, it's the marquee game of the weekend in the Canadian Football League. You're going to have a big crowd here at Commonwealth, big by their current standards, uh, well over 30,000, maybe as high as 35,000. So this is a matchup that's being anticipated by many, many people, yours truly included. Well, uh, coverage gets underway at 6, kickoff at 8, and this whole idea, I know you're a big fan of keeping an eye on the first downs and time of possession. The Bombers are going to have to chew up some clock and, and move the ball up and down the field a tiny bit at least in, in order to keep that Eskimo uh, offense, very potent offense, Trevor Harris uh, just doing fantastic things off the field for as long as they can. That, that's got to be as big a key as anything in my mind, Bob. Well, sure. The, the first game these two teams played, the Bombers did win, Greg, but, uh, you know, Edmonton had the ball for 36 and a half minutes and they had almost 200 more yards of offense. So I don't think Winnipeg could hope to win again if that if there was that big a discrepancy in those two areas. So for sure, the time of possession and the yards, the Bombers have to level it out a lot more than it was in that first game. But Winnipeg still won 28-21, but that's a lot to expect when you give up that much in those two areas. Well, I had to get my key of the game in uh, well, about 11 hours uh, early today, Bob. So thanks for letting okay. me do that. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Doug's with you up in Edmonton? 
No, Doug's in, uh, he's in Texas, but uh, he, he's actually working at his, his primary job down in Texas, but he's going to join us on the pregame show. Ed Tate will uh, work with me and on our pregame show, you'll hear from the usual cast of thousands, including uh, Almondo Sewell, the defensive tackle of the Eskimos, who calls Andrew Harris the best player in the Canadian Football League. How's that for a compliment? Well, he's not wrong. Let's just put it that no. way. In the, in the minds of many, he's not. Not a bit. All right, Bob Irving joining us live on 680 CJOB. Bob, thank you for this. Okay, you guys, anytime. And Greg, once again, what time does coverage begin tonight? Six o'clock here on Your Voice, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, eight o'clock kickoff. And uh, I was texting with Doug last night, took a picture of the boys in front of the big Doug Brown gate at IG Field last night. And he says, boy, that sign's seen better days. It needs a little bit of a facelift. And I just texted him back. I said, no comment. Hey, don't forget to subscribe. Because they could have gone down a different road. Don't forget to subscribe to the Blue Bomber podcast as well with Doug Brown and Greg Mackling and get some more insight into the game as you get ready for tonight. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.